The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hey, this is Jeremiah from Remnant Church. We want you to be encouraged and filled with hope for your experience as you listen in. This life can be complicated, even confusing, but it's our hope that you catch a glimpse of God's unconditional love for you and His purpose for your life. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jeremiah Vick. It's, it's good for us to be able to jump into... Um, you know, really what God wants us to know about families and, and how families are supposed to operate. I think that so far, this series has been really good. We have, um, we've, we've covered a lot of ground in like the last three or four weeks. And I feel like as we move along, that God is going to be speaking like really specifically to a lot of us, if not all of us. Um, I don't know about you guys, but do you find that when you listen to a message, sometimes you feel like, like that pastor wrote that message just for you, and you're like, man, he knows something. You know, it's like somebody told him something, right? And, and like he, he went through all this trouble to prepare this, you know, hour-long message just for me, right? Um, the, the thing that's neat about it is that God knows exactly what you need to hear, and like his timing is perfect. So, I mean, there could be a bunch of people in the room, and God could have a specific message for each one, and, and it may be from the same passage, and you may be hearing something totally different. And that's the beautiful thing about God's Word. Um, I've said this before, but God's Word, is, is, it's the only book where you can talk to the author about what he's written. It's the only book, you know, you can't like pick up your, you know, go to the New York Times bestseller and, uh, and get it and, and call the author up and be like, hey man, I really loved your book, but what did you mean by this? On page 17, you know, you said, you can't do that, right? But you can talk to God the author, and you can ask him questions and let God speak to you, let his word speak to you, and, uh, and find out what he's saying to you. So I hope that that happens this morning. We're going to be in First Peter. Um, now, my message is live defensively, and uh, that sounds like kind of an aggressive... Um, we're, we're actually going to talk about what it means to, to, to have kind of a defensive attitude, and we don't mean it in the way you're thinking, because right when I hear the word defensive... I start thinking of someone who shuts down the moment someone challenges them, <clears throat> or they feel threatened by everybody, and that's not at all what we're talking about. We're just simply talking about living a life that, that has defenses in place, okay? Does that sound good? So let me pray, and we'll jump into this. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in and see what God has for us. So Father, we thank you that you love us, and that um, God, because of your great love for us, you desire that we would follow after you in a way that not only honors you, God, but also um, benefits us. And God, we, uh, <clears throat> we recognize that as we try to live lives that bring glory to you and glory to Jesus, we know, Father, that this is also going to be the best path for our lives, God, that we're going we're gonna to find the most happiness, the most peace, the most joy, as we go down that path. And so, God, um, I would pray that as we continue to look at our families and, and ask the question, what, what can we do to have families that better reflect you? And what can we do, Father, to, um, to really, truly follow after you in a way that um, feels like we're, we're flourishing and we're thriving in a place where sometimes we feel kind of beat up and we feel like we don't have it right and Father, I just pray that you would speak to us, that all that you want us to learn today, God, would be um, just available for us. And I pray, Father, that um, as I open your word and as I speak, Father, I pray that my words would be your words today. And we thank you, God. We'll pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's jump into this passage and see what God has for us. So, <clears throat> living defensively, let's find out what this is all about. First Peter Five, we'll be reading verses 5 through 9, and all week I was, I was going to be doing verses 5 through 11, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop at 9 because I feel like I already have like way too much material here, but uh, this is such a good passage, really loaded with good stuff for us. So First Peter 5, starting with verse 5, it says, and all of you dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud 
but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same hard times that you are. So as I was reading through this passage, and I don't know uh, about you, but uh, this is not an unfamiliar passage to me, um, but it always kind of gives me this feeling of, um, I don't know, like, like I need to be looking behind my back. Um, this statement about, about our enemy, the devil, Satan, how he's like just crouching in the weeds somewhere, just waiting to jump out and attack. I was, I was watching, uh, I, I don't, this came up in somebody's Facebook or Instagram feed. They had posted a video that I think was like maybe a National Geographic video or something. And the video was like a minute long, and it was, it was just showed this, this like grassy plain, and, and there was like a little bit of movement, but it looked like it was just kind of the wind blowing across. And, uh, and the caption just read like, wait for it. So I'm like, look, it's one of those videos where, you know, you watch it and you're, I'm thinking something's going to jump out and, and scare me, right? Um, well, it's like you're watching this video and you don't see any movement at all. And then all of a sudden this, this tiger like jumps out of the grass. And, and I'm just like, man, that would be so crazy to be, it, when I go to the zoo or to Wild Animal Park, I'm okay with the fact that we're on this side of the bars, Right. Yeah, I, I was like, I, I want there to be something between me and a wild animal who can sneak up on you like that. I watched that video, and it kind of made me, you know, shiver a little bit. I was like, oh, man, that would be insane to be, you know, hunted and not even realize that you're being hunted. And I started thinking about the Christian life and what it means to really follow after Jesus and the fact that we are being hunted. We do have an enemy that is just waiting for the moment to pounce on us. And I don't want that to scare you. I don't want you to like leave here, you know, feeling frightened about um, something that could attack you at any moment, but I want you to be aware of that. I want you to have a healthy fear of our enemy because the moment we, we think that we're not susceptible to attack and the moment we think that we're okay, that's the time when, when he strikes. Okay, so I think it's something for us to kind of pay attention to and, uh, and ask God, how can we protect ourselves against those kinds of attacks? So the first thing that I see in this passage, and it might sound a little bit opposite of being in a defensive position, but the first thing I notice is that God is telling us that we need to interact with others with humility. We need to interact with others with humility. Look, look at the word humility. I want to um, give you the literal definition of the Greek word that's used here. It, it literally means near the ground, low-lying from the earth. Okay, that's, that's the root of this word humility. And it reminds me of something. It reminds me of, uh, you guys ever noticed how there are certain animals that will, you know, show their dominance over other animals, and so the, the animal that doesn't want to get beat up will, will assume a position that's, that's vulnerable, okay? Um, they call this the, the animal, animal dominance hierarchy, Okay, so, so animals respond to each other in a certain way, and the one that doesn't want to get torn to pieces will usually lay down in front of the other animal. And this is, this is kind of across many species, and it will usually expose its most vulnerable parts to the animal that is superior to it. And that's the idea of this word humility. It's, it's this, this action of submissive behavior in which you, you make yourself seemingly vulnerable when you come with a humble attitude. Because let's be honest, when you are humble, when you take that, uh, you know, we, we call it taking the high road, but as soon as you start thinking of it as a high road, you're no longer humble, right? So we'll try not to use that analogy. But, but when you assume this, this humble posture, you might feel at first like this is a very vulnerable place. But the reality is that God gives us strength and grace in, in places of humility. That's, that's actually a strong position for us to be in as followers of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 5. 
I, I like how this is worded. It says, all of you dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. Think about this for a moment. Um, when you get dressed in the morning, you, you, you don't get dressed and put on the clothes that you're wearing for you, right? You, you, you dress for somebody else. Am I right? And maybe you're like, no, no, I dress for me. You know, I'm all about, you know, comfort. And Okay, so let me explain to you or let me show to you, prove to you that you dress for other people, okay? Have you ever been wearing something and you had an unexpected visitor? And you're like, oh, crud, I need to put something else on. You, you were comfortable in whatever you're wearing, but it wasn't exactly what you wanted people to see you in. Am I right? So when you get dressed and you go out into public, you're not doing that for yourself. You're doing that for other people, right? You want people to kind of see that you have this nice image, okay? And, and no matter who you are, I mean, I'm not saying that you have to be all caught up in material things and, and, uh, and want to have you know, the brand name, clothing, all that stuff. I'm not saying that you, that's what you want, but you still want to have some sort of an image that communicates to other people, hey, I'm normal, right? I, I, I can look nice. I'm, I'm pleasant to be around, right? And so that's kind of a statement that we make when we get dressed in the morning. We think to ourselves, we look in the mirror, and we don't say to ourselves, I look good for me. We're like, okay, other people can look at me and not run away, okay? That's like the goal for us to be able to look nice. And the idea of clothing ourselves with humility is not that we're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for others. Because we want to transmit a message. We want people to understand that the grace of God is present in our lives. And when we're humble, when we clothe ourselves with humility, that comes across. But look at what it says. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now think about this for a moment. God is opposed to those that are filled with pride. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little bit nervous. Because I, I, I want to be on God's side, right? It's like if we're picking teams, I want God to pick me, right? I want to be on his team. I don't want to be on the opposite team. I don't care who's on the opposite team. If it's not God's team, I don't want to be there. And so this verse makes me a little bit nervous because it says God opposes the proud. And here's the thing. Refusing to be humble puts you on the opposite team from God, while embracing humility empowers you with God's grace. So you have two choices here. You can either be prideful and self-serving and be on the opposite team from God, or you can join God's team and adopt his humility. It's pretty simple. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but I think the choice for us is simple because we don't want to be in a position where we are at enmity with God, right? Where God is opposed to us. Uh, Romans 12, verse 3, Paul says, I give you, each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. So God is saying, Here, here's your warning, Okay? I don't want you to be on the opposite team, so here's your warning. It's not easy for us to be humble. It goes against what comes natural to us. It's not easy for us to, to maintain humility on a consistent basis. But it's, it's serious enough, it's vital enough for us that, that Paul here is actually saying, hey, here's your warning. Okay, don't let your pride come to the surface. Don't think that you're better than yourself. In fact, he says, when you start to think that you're better than you really are, he says, really all you have to do is compare yourselves with God's love and the gospel, and it kind of puts you back in your place. He says, measure yourself against the faith that God has given us. Take who you are and place it right next to God, and then ask yourselves, how, how much pride should I really have when I compare myself to, myself to a holy God. And you know what happens when we, when we have a humble attitude? We're, we're kind of forced to be honest about ourselves. When we say, okay, I want to adopt humility. I want that to be like the characteristic that defines my life. When we do that, all of a sudden, we are asking ourselves to be honest about who we are. So that's why truth and humility will always line up. 
Truth protects us from false humility and not admitting our weaknesses. Now, let me explain this a little bit here. So, if you have a good voice, if you're a good singer, and somebody comes to you and says, wow, you are so talented, I love your voice. And you say, no, I don't have a great voice. I'm, I'm, not, that, I'm not that good, right? Well, what, what just happened there? Are, are you being humble by saying to them, it's not true, I'm not a good singer? Not necessarily. What, what makes you respond? Now, that's something we want to do, right? When someone gives us a compliment, we want to like kind of turn it away or redirect the compliment. Do you do that? But, but that, you know what makes us do that? It's pride. Pride is, is what makes us redirect a compliment. Uh, let me tell you something. If you want to redirect a compliment, you should redirect it towards God. When someone says, you know, something about you it, that, that's a compliment, then you should say, thank you. If it wasn't for God, his grace, God's gifting, I wouldn't be able to do that. That's a, that's a great way to take that compliment and then just give God glory for it. But when you take that compliment and you say, no, it's not true. You're delusional. I'm not really good at that, right? When you do that, what, what makes you say that? It's pride that makes you say And it's actually a false humility that comes to surface. Uh, another example, um, I have a friend who's a missionary in the Philippines, and uh, they have a ministry to, uh, to the street people. And one thing that they've discovered is that they, these people that haven't eaten in a couple days, they'll go to them and they'll say, are you hungry? And they'll say, no, I'm not hungry. But it's not because they're not hungry. It's because they don't want to admit that they're hungry. You see what happens there? And, and so they're actually willing to go without food rather than admit that they've been going without food. And so um, he has to be really careful and make sure that when he approaches someone that it's not done in a place where, you know, other people can overhear and so that person can be honest and, and be vulnerable about their weakness and about their actual condition. So you understand what I'm saying? There, there's two different ways that pride comes to the surface here. In this case, it's pride that will not admit that you have a weakness and that you're in a tough spot. Has somebody ever asked you if they can help you out and you're just like, no, I'm fine, even though you really, really needed the help? Or, or someone, someone, you know, is asking you, how's that situation going? And you, you, you don't want to be fully vulnerable with them. You don't want to be fully honest. And so you just kind of give them a, an answer that you think they want to hear. Where does that come from? Where does that, that kind of response come from? It, it, honestly, it comes from pride. And so if we're going to reflect true humility, if we're going to be people that are, are approaching in our relations with other people, in all of our interactions, if we're going to be approaching those things with humility, we've got to be honest about who we are and what's going on in our lives. So truth and humility are always going to line up. It's impossible for you to be humble and be deceptive. In fact, the uh, Bible tells us in Psalms 25, verse 9, it says, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. If there's one thing about a person that is humble, it is that they are being led by God, that God is, is guiding that person, that God is leading them in a place that is right in a place of honesty, in a place of truth. And look what verse 6 in our, in our chapter says. It says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. So humble yourselves under God's mighty power, and at the right time, He'll be the one that lifts you up. Now, we have to understand this within the family dynamic, okay? So why... Why is our commitment to humility so important in the family? Why is it so important? Because humility disarms. When, when there's an, a disagreement, when there's an argument, humility is, is disarming. But humility also brings a peace. And, and, it's, and it's not a peace that necessarily has to be in a place of disagreement. But a humble person has a peace about them that kind of settles on the, in the entire home. You know what else humility brings? It brings respect. You think of one person in your mind that you could truly say is humble and tell me you don't respect that person. 
In fact, the, the people that I admire the most on this earth, humility is like one of their number one traits. So it's super important for us, especially in the, in the family dynamic. See, here's the thing. We, we all want honor and respect. We want it from our kids. We want it from our spouses. We want it from other family members. Like, we all want honor and respect. The problem is that we're going about it the wrong way. Instead of demanding it, we need to earn it. And, and I believe if we're going to be faithful to God's word, the only way that you can earn respect and honor from your family is through humility. I don't think you can be respected and honored without being humble. So important. And, and we're going to see in a little while why, that's, why that is so much more important. So the second thing that I see here in our passage, God wants us to interact with humility. And then the second thing is he wants us to surrender our worries. Surrender your worries. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. I, I honestly think this is one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. Give your worries and your cares to God, because he cares about you. Now, let me ask you a question. What, what happens when we worry? I mean, you, you know what that makes you feel like, right? I mean, you know kind of the symptoms that you start to exhibit when you, when you worry, right? You know that you're, you're restless, that you can't sleep, that you really can't be comfortable, that you're not focused, like your mind is always thinking about that thing that you're worried about. Okay, so those are like the, the physical experience of, of of being worried, but, but worry does something to you spiritually as well. See, worry actually communicates a message to God. Worry's telling God that he doesn't love you and that he's incapable of meeting your needs. That's, that's the message that you're communicating to God. When, when now, I'm not saying that you, there aren't going to be times in your life where you're, you're anxious for a moment, but if you continue in that path or you get stuck in a rut of being worried or or a rut of anxiety, that's when the message that you're sending to God becomes loud and clear. You're saying, God, you must not love me very much because you've put me in this place that I'm in. And you say, God, you must not be very capable of taking care of me and meeting my needs because I'm always having to worry about it and try to think of ways to meet my own needs. In fact, worry actually kind of leads to self-reliance. When you, when you start to worry about things and you become overly stressed out about them and you start to obsess about them, you begin to rely more upon yourself and less upon God. Because you start to say things to yourself like, you know, God, you can't help me out of this pit. I need to help myself. I need to figure my own way out of this mess. Proverbs 12, verse 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. You ever felt weighed down? You ever felt like you're carrying this this heavy burden on your shoulders? I mean, the, the times that I've been anxious, that I've been filled with worry, I literally felt like I was carrying around a weight. Have you, have you lived that way? Are you feeling that way right now? Maybe there's something going on in your life right now and you're stressed out about it and it just kind of makes everything feel heavy. I was reading this story about um, the French Revolution. I think it was actually after the French Revolution. You know, when, when after the French Revolution, there was like 10 more years where Napoleon was in power and he was like still picking fights with everybody. And so he, he was, there were like skirmishes with, between France and, and, and Russia and, and Austria. And, uh, well, it started with a skirmish with Egypt. I mean, so there was like all these things that, were, that kept going on after the French Revolution. Well, I was reading about this one story where there was about 18,000 troops that invaded this really small town in Austria. And, and this town was completely defenseless. It wasn't like a military town. It didn't have any form of defense at all. And, and as a matter of fact, the number of soldiers that were coming into the town outnumbered the actual amount of villagers. 
And so the, the town was, was freaked out. I mean, the, the city council gathered together, you know, behind uh, closed doors, and, and they, they sat there, and they just, like, you know, basically cried on each other's shoulders and was like, what do we do? What can we do? We're going we're gonna to be killed, you know? We're going to be imprisoned at best. And so they're sitting there, and they're, they're worried. Well, it happened to be Easter Sunday when this in, invasion happened. And, and the pastor of the church, I think there was only one church in the village, um, the pastor of the church said, um, I think we should still have Easter services. And the townspeople were like, yeah, why not? We can't do anything about our situation, right? And we're, we're like in the worst place we've ever been. And, and so they, they went ahead and said, okay, let's, let's have Easter services like normal, even though, you know, we're, <laughs> it's like our death or our imprisonment is imminent. And so... The pastor goes and he begins to ring the bells of the church. And as he rang the bells of the church, the, the French army that had come in thought that this was announcing that the Austrian army was arriving. And so they packed up their stuff. And before he finished ringing the bells, like the, the, the French army was like on their way out of town. They were, they were leaving. And I, I'm reading that story and I'm like, wow, that is crazy. I mean, nobody knew that was going to happen. But this pastor was like, there's no point in us worrying when there's nothing we can do about the situation. He's like, instead, let's just worship God. Let's just have our Easter worship service and see what God does. My friends, some of us are so worried, we're so stressed out about a situation in our life that we have no power over. There is absolutely nothing we can do. And so why not praise God? Why not worship God? Why not say, God, the situation is too big. I've got no control over it. But I'm still going to ring those church bells. I'm still going to sound out my praise to you. And then just see what God does. Maybe there's a victory on the other side of that worship. Maybe your enemy, maybe your stress and your anxiety is going to hightail it out of town once you begin to worship God. Worry can be paralyzing. Worry leaves you defenseless in a world that wants to see you fail. And, And worry is something that God tells us not to do. He says, put all your cares on me because I care for you. My friends, that's that's an invitation. That is an invitation for us to unload our burdens. Why would we turn that down? Why would we tell God, it's okay, God, I got this, right? I, I mean, God is literally saying, I want to take that from you. I want to take that away from you. Matthew 6, 34 says, So don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So you look at this verse, you're like, oh, that's comforting, right? (laughs) It's like, don't worry about what's happening today because it's going to get worse tomorrow. That's not exactly what the verse is saying. Um, I like the way Chuck Swindoll put it. He said, worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. That's good. That's good stuff. Because that's what happens. We worry about something that's in the future and we take that dark cloud of worry and we just like block the sunshine. Whatever kind of happiness or joy might have been able to creep into our lives, we've blocked it out because we've chosen to spend that time worrying. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus says about our worries. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. I love this passage. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Guys, this is an invitation from Jesus himself for us to relieve ourselves of worry, for us to take all the anxiety and all the stress in our lives 
and exchange it. Exchange that burden for what, what Jesus calls his burden or his yoke. And what, what's the description? He's like, my yoke is light. It's easy to bear. That's God's invitation to us. How does this, how does this factor its, itself into uh, the family dynamic? Like, what, what does it mean for us as a family to not worry? Did you know that, like, like worry from the top, okay? I mean, like, the parents, when they worry, that that is just, like, passed down to kids. And kids, let me just tell you about something about children, in case you haven't picked up on it. Children do not have a lot of worries, okay? They're pretty happy-go-lucky, right? They don't have a whole lot of cares in the world. Sometimes I long for, for, you know, the old days when I was a kid and I had nothing to worry about, right? I mean, the only thing I had to worry about is, like, playing, right? Am I going to be able to finish playing, you know? It's like, nowadays I'm like, am I going to be able to finish, you know, what I'm working on and get my job done? Back then I was just like, yeah, the sun's starting to go down. i got to finish playing, right? It's like, kids don't have a lot of worries. But unfortunately what happens, parents, is that we, we take our worries and our stress and we just, like, pass them down to our kids. And so kids start to worry about things they shouldn't even be thinking about. Kids start to stress out about things that, that they shouldn't be having to encounter. They shouldn't be having to think in that way. And yet, we take our burden and we pass it down to them. See, if, if we're, if we're going to be people that truly honor God in this way, and we're going to cast all our cares upon Jesus, then that's something that we can pass on to our kids. That's something that we can pass on to the other members of our family that need that the ability to hand over our cares. And I'm not saying you're going to go through life not caring about anything. That would be foolishness, right? But what I am saying is when you get obsessed with your worry and you're so stressed that you can literally make yourself sick, right? I mean, I'm talking like ulcers or just like depression and discouragement as a constant, just the norm for your life. That's, that's not the life that God created you to live and it's not the kind of life that God wants you to pass on to your kids or the people around you you have control over that and you Jesus has already given you the invitation to simply hand off your worries to him so surrender your worries God wants us to to interact with humility with each other surrender our worries and then the third thing don't get caught off guard don't get caught off guard Look what it says in verses 8 and 9. It says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. You're thinking about that grassy field where you can't see any movement. Looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So God is telling us we need to be ready for the attacks We don't want to be caught off guard. We need to be ready for the attacks that come our way. See, you don't have any choice about this. You you have no choice but to live defensively because the health and safety of your family depends upon it. Because if you drop your guard, you leave your whole family open for attack. Um, Do you remember when you were learning how to drive? For some of you, that was like, you know, last couple months, right? So not that hard. I, I just remember back in, when I was learning how to drive, okay, um, taking those, those driver's ed classes, and, and they used to talk about drive defensively, right? Drive defensively. When I first heard that term, I thought it meant like, you know, I had to like push people off the road, like, get out of my way, right? No, that's not what that means. So, so the, there's this term, you know, drive, they still use that in, when they talk about drive, okay? So drive defensively. I was going to look up, like, what, what does it mean to drive defensively? Like, like, what are the tips for how you do that? So let me share those with you guys, because I think it means something for us. So tips for defensive driving. One, plan ahead for the unexpected. Oh, by the way, this is, like, taken directly from the, the, the manual that kids have to learn when they're learning how to drive. Okay, plan ahead for the unexpected. Be prepared to react to other drivers. Do not expect the other driver to do what you think he or she should do. That's a big one. 
That would actually help you from, you know, having to make hand gestures out the car window as you drive, right? The next one, respect other users of the roadway. Be aware of driving in special road and weather conditions. Be alert and avoid distractions. Okay, this is not a driver's ed course, right? But I thought it was important to, to think about these things for a moment because as I was writing these things down, I was like, okay, this is not only good advice for driving, this is good advice for living. If we're going to live defensively, uh, plan ahead for the unexpected. The, the unexpected is that thing that you're not expecting to happen, right? Just want to make sure that we're tracking here, okay? Plan ahead for that. How do you plan ahead for something that you're not expecting to happen? Well, start considering the options. What could happen? How could this go south? How could the things go sideways, right? Plan ahead for the unexpected. Be prepared to react to other drivers. By the way, this, in life, there are going to be other drivers in your life that you have to react with, that you have to have some sort of interaction with. Don't expect the other driver to do what you think he or she should do. Don't expect the other person in your family to do what you think that they're going to do. If you, if you start expecting that, you are going to be disappointed. Be prepared for them to make mistakes. Be prepared for other people to fail. Um, respect other users of the roadway. Oh, this is great if you have to share a bathroom with someone in your family, right? <laughs> Be respectful for, of, of other people's places and things. Be aware of driving in special road and weather conditions because there are things that happen externally to your family. You know what I'm saying? We, have, we, like, we cause a lot of our own problems within the family, but then there's things that come from the outside. There's stuff that's not even our fault and it just becomes a part of our life all of a sudden. Those are the things that we have to watch out for. And then be alert and avoid distractions which is pretty much what this, this Bible passage is telling us to do. To be alert, to pay attention not only to what's going on around us, but pay attention to God and what he's telling us. See, you can learn a lot from driver's ed, right? Maybe some of us need to go back to traffic school. I don't know. I'm just saying there's a lot of life advice, life hacks, right? John 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' goal, his plan for our lives is that we would live abundantly. But the enemy wants to steal what we have and wants to destroy it. And that's why we have to live defensively. James 4 verse 7 this theme of humility keeps coming back up. James 4, 7 says, So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, this is kind of interesting because it actually gives us a way to ward off Satan's attacks. It gives us a way to defend ourselves against the enemy. It says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. In other words, Surrendering to God is your number one defense against the enemy. Your personal surrender to God is going to be your best defense against the enemy's attacks. Here's the last part this passage is telling us, and I'm glad this is last because I feel like it's the most encouraging piece. Remember, you're not alone. Remember that you're not alone. Look what it says in the last part of verse 9. It says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same hard times that you are. You know why we have such a hard time sometimes getting out of the pit, getting out of the rut we feel we're stuck in? Because we think we're alone. We think we're the only one that's having to deal with the issues in our life. Have you done that before? Have you just like felt lonely? Just kind of throw up your arms. You're like, man, no one else has to deal with this garbage. Just me, right? And you start to feel like you're the only one. 
And the reality is, the struggles that you're up against are not unique. Someone else is going through it, and someone else has gotten through it. So don't feel alone in your struggle. Reach out to the people around you. Reach out to the people you know love and care about you and love God and want what's best for you. You don't have to face it alone. You don't have to go through whatever you're going through by yourself. You know, it's comforting for us to know that other people are struggling in the same ways that we struggle. Am I right? I mean, that, that brings comfort to me. And I don't know if it's like, you know the expression, misery loves company, right? It's like, if you're hurting, it's like, it makes you feel better knowing someone else is hurting, okay? That sounds pretty bad, but it's true. Like, when you're, when you're struggling, when you're, things are going bad for you, if you find out that someone else is facing the same kind of issues, that actually makes you feel a little bit better. You're like, oh, wait a second. So I'm not the only one going through this? Maybe I can have a friend down with me in this pit, right? I, I heard somebody, um, <laughs> I thought this was good. Somebody uh, was talking about true friendship, and they were saying, like, you know, a true friend is not the one that's, like, trying to help you out of the pit. The true friend is, like, the one that's, like, hey, let me get down in there with you, right? <laughs> and, and that's what we need sometimes. We need someone to be there with us in the mess. And if there's no one in your life like that right now, I'm, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is that someone. Jesus is that someone who has suffered, who has been hurt, who has been betrayed. He's experienced temptation, pain that we could never understand. He's gone through it all. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want to come down and sit with you in the mess that you're in. I want to be a part of your life. I want to walk with you through this so that you can come out the other side. You know, God actually has a, a design, a plan for the struggles in our lives. He actually, there, there's like a reason for all that, right? Um, as a matter of fact, Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Adversity in our lives, it, it starts to do something in us. It, it starts to shape us. It starts to make us more like the person that God wants us to be. In fact, God's ultimate goal for struggles in your life is to strengthen and shape you into who he wants you to be. That's God's ultimate plan for whatever struggle you're going through right now. No matter what the issue is, no matter what it is that you're facing right now, God's goal through that is that you will be stronger and you'll be more like his son, Jesus. My friends, I, I think that's a pretty good destination. I think that's a pretty good reason for some of the struggles and things that we have to endure, knowing that God has a plan. Now, I'm not saying that when you're really going through it that that's going to be a comforting thought, Okay? Matter of fact, that may be the thing you don't want to hear. When you're really going through a struggle, you probably don't want someone to come alongside you and be like, hey, it's okay, God's just, you know, doing something for you, right? God's doing something in your life. Maybe that's not what you need. And I think we need to be sensitive to other people when they're going through difficult times and know that sometimes you just need someone to be in there with them in the mess, someone to, to cry with, someone to, to mourn with. But understand, and please, please keep this in the back of your minds, keep this as like the, 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 the river that kind of just keeps flowing, right? I mean, there's a lot of other interactions, a lot of other things going on, but let this be the constant thing in your life, knowing that there's a goal, that there's a reason, and the goal for your suffering, for your challenges, the struggles that you're facing right now, or that you would become stronger and more like Jesus. Romans 5 verses 3 and 4 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and st character strengthens our confident hope. 
See, God has a plan, and God's, God's plan is very well designed. We can trust him. We can trust God that he knows what he's doing. So what does this mean for our families? Because, guys, the reality is that as families, we're going to go through things together that are going to be painful. We're going to go through places in life that feel pretty hopeless. But if we can just get a glimpse of what God's doing through that struggle, then, then we can start responding to him and to what he wants to do in that situation. And I, I challenge you, I encourage you, don't, don't let your pain go to waste. That sounds bad, but what I mean is, don't let the struggle, the, the difficulty that you're going through, don't let it just beat you up and then you're left with nothing. Discover, truly discover what God is doing in that. Listen for his voice. Respond to what he wants you to do and how he wants you to react. That's how we can come out the other side stronger. And that's how we can allow God to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. And my friends, if there's, if there's one reason that's so important for us to do that, I, I think our families... Our families staying together and weathering trials and being families that honor God, it's, it's, it's going to be worth it. So let me just try to summarize all the things I've said in, in one sentence for you. And that's this. We must allow humility to shape our behavior, trust God with our struggles, and keep an eye out for danger. That's living defensively. And that takes living intentionally. Guys, if there's one thing I can encourage you to do, don't just go with the flow of life. We have to be intentional about the way we live. We have to truly have a plan. This kind of living... It takes intentionality. If, if you're just going to go with the flow and just whatever happens, happens, my, my friends, you're not going to be happy or successful and your family's not going to be safe. It's not going to be a safe, it's going to be a toxic environment. It's going to be destructive. It's going to be painful. But if you listen to God, do what he's asking you to do, God is going to give you those things, those elements, those, those pieces that make a family good and honoring to God. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. But is that a reason to not do it? Absolutely not. It's, it's, it's God's plan for us as we try to follow him, seek after him. Would you bow your heads with me? God, first of all, I, wanna, I just want to thank you that you love each and every one of us so much that you're willing to lay out these plans for us. And God, I recognize that you care more about our lives than we even care about them ourselves. You care more about our families than we care about our families. And God, because I know that your, your love for us is that deep, I also know that we can trust you. And maybe there's someone in this room today who's having trouble trusting you because they're looking at their circumstances, they're looking at the, the struggles that they're facing and the things that are just going wrong in their lives and it's, it's distracting them from your love. It's distracting them from your provision. So God, I pray for each and every person in this room that right now you would give them a a full sense of the kind of father you are and the way that you love us. See, guys, I, I don't pretend to know what you're struggling with. I don't pretend to know what things are like at home. But I know who God is and I know what God has to say about it. And if there's one 
person we can trust. It is God. So I just encourage you, like we talked about this morning, face every situation and every person with humility. Push that pride down. Let God's grace come to the surface. Trust him. Surrender your worries, your stress, your cares. Give that all up to him. Pay attention to what's happening around you so you don't get caught off guard and you're not susceptible to Satan's attacks. Just remember, guys, you're not alone in this. Father, thanks. Thanks once again for this reminder from your word. God, would you use these words and these thoughts to build stronger families in this church? Help us to be the men and women that you're calling us to be. And help us to respond to you the way you want us to. We love you, God. Thanks for all you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. And, I, you know, I just want to remind you once again, and I know we say it a lot, but if you're going through something, feel like you're facing something that's overwhelming, please talk to us. We'd love to be able to pray for you. I mean, the very least that we can do, and there, maybe there's more we can do, but the very least we can do is to bring you before the Father and say, God, here's your child that you love. Can you please help? So if you're struggling, if you need prayer, please, please talk to myself, talk to Jerry, talk to Victor. I mean, there's, there's people here that love you. want to make sure that your needs are being met. Does that sound good? Awesome. The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hey, this is Jeremiah from Remnant Church. We want you to be encouraged and filled with hope through your experience as you listen in. This life can be complicated, even confusing, but it's our hope that you catch a glimpse of God's unconditional love for you and His purpose for your life. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jeremiah Vick.